listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm and dare to make it known. And Daniel, the story of Daniel is not just a story of a, um, of just a childhood story. It's a real life story, a true life story about a teenager and the teenager's three friends. These three friends who stood firm, who trusted God in some very confusing and difficult circumstances. And last week as we launched into the book of Daniel, we, we, we saw uh, some very important things. We were, we just made it through the first two verses of the book. And today, Lord willing, we're going to make it through the rest of chapter one here this morning and so the theme of the book of Daniel and and we have this we have a screen working right so we're good on that part all right that's that's good to see the 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 theme of the book of Daniel is is that God sovereignly protects everyone in every situation who are loyal to him every life every person that is loyal to God he will protect He desires to strengthen and empower in some mighty ways. And so today, Lord willing, we are going to get through here at chapter 1. We saw last week, we see today in the world that we're living in, that there is great opposition and pressure towards, and, and that is building towards biblical Christianity. It's in other places in our world. But it's mounting and it's building here in North America. Last week I mentioned some of the pressure on pastors and and on churches in Canada today. But this kind of pressure is not only for pastors, it is for others as well. It is for Christian teachers who are in the public school system having to teach a curriculum about things that they do not necessarily agree with. Or just even in a recent ruling of Christian doctors in Ontario who uh, just... This past week, there was a ruling that they are facing for Christian doctors, mounting pressures to perform things like euthanasia, contrary to their personal and to their religious beliefs. And these are things that are, there's a mounting pressure to conform to this world. And in the book of Daniel, we see that there is a supernatural power and blessing that God gives to his people. And it is a power and a blessing that he desires to bestow not just on people in the Bible, just not on the godly saints of old, but today. And in, first, in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9, this powerful verse in God's word, listen to this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. That's a verse for us today. As God looks in this room here this morning, he knows, he knows whose hearts are loyal towards him. He knows who belongs to him and who doesn't belong to him. He knows who who love him. He knows the individuals who love him sincerely and he, he wants to stand with you and for you and give strong support to those who desire to righteously stand before God, even in the face of difficult circumstances and opposition. He's ready to give strong support to you today. Do you know that? Do you believe that? He's desiring to give strong support to empower and to strengthen you today in whatever it is that you're going through. 
God is with us. And the first thing we saw last week, that in order to live a courageous life, this is just a brief little recap, we must first trust in the sovereignty, sovereignty of God in all things. Romans 8, chapter, Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This isn't a universal verse. This is for those who love God. These are, this verse is for those who love God and desire to pursue him in a personal relationship, in an ongoing relationship, that in all things God is working then for our good. Despite the appearances of what's going on, despite what things might look like, this, the setbacks and the failures, what looks like might be a loss or, 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 or a defeat, God is at work and we see this in the life of Daniel. It's all towards our good. A, a statement this past week that I heard from a pastor by the name of Paul Carter. Kids, write this down. It's one of your fill in the blanks and this is powerful. And don't forget it. God is large and God is in charge. God is large and he's in charge. This afternoon when you're driving home, before you go to bed tonight, parents, remind your kids of this truth. Remind each other of this truth this next week when you're facing circumstances, when you're looking at the world. We have to remember God is large and he's in charge. Amen? You can go to the bank on that. What looks like defeat here in, in the book of Daniel, what looks like defeat for the nation of Israel, how it looks like Yahweh God has been defeated and how Daniel and his three friends are now taken into captivity. We're seeing God at work in a mighty and a powerful way. We saw in the first two verses that God is raising up Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, we read in our small group study this past week, you, we read this in, I believe it was 2 Chronicles in the passage there, that Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant. He was his deputy. God was using King Nebuchadnezzar to make a strong statement, to chasten, to refine. But we end up seeing how God even used the circumstances to preserve a remnant of his people. God is large and in charge in all situations. In every and all situations, big or small. In Daniel's life, in Israel's life, in our lives here today. And so here's where we're going to be going today. We're going into part two of this. And this is the part two of the message. We determine to live a no compromise life no matter what. To live a life with courage, under fire, under attack, under difficult, confusing circumstances. We determine, first of all, we trust in the sovereignty of God. But then second of all, we determine to live a no compromise life no matter what. We, we determine that within our hearts and we see this here with Daniel and his three friends. We might at times think, oh, what's the big deal? Really? A little compromise here, a little bit there? What's the big deal? Everyone's doing it. It's not a big deal to just fudge the numbers just a little bit to make things look a little bit better than they are. It's not, not a big deal to cheat on that exam just to kind of have that wandering eye and do that little look at, at your neighbor's exam. You know, you were up last night praying and, 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 and reading your Bible and you just didn't have time to study. And so, you know, a little cheating is okay, you know, we tell ourselves. Or, or we tell that little white lie. You know, it's just a white lie. I don't know where we get that term from, but that's just to justify lying. 
But, it, it, you know, it's just a white lie. Or we cut some corners at work. After all, we need to, you know, maintain our competitive edge. Have to put bread on the table. So we compromise just in little areas here and there. We fill out a timesheet or an expense sheet towards our favor. That kind of helps us and helps our bottom line. And we kind of think, ah, oh, it's okay. The government has all its money anyways. And, and I pay enough taxes, so I deserve this. We hear or we may know of something that is wrong or is illegal that is going on, but for the sake of peace or unity or position or not wanting to be that guy, you know, that, that, that exposes things, we stay quiet. We compromise. And we choose to compromise in little areas, and those little areas can become big areas. How about when it comes to the Word of God? We're seeing incredible compromise happen these days. I know what God's Word says, but... But, but, but it's like 2,000 years since Christ. Like, you know, times change. And, and, and since these books were written, it's been so many years, hundreds, even thousands of years. And yet today we see pastors and churches compromising when it comes to teaching and proclaiming the word of God. Don't want to kind of, you know, offend people too much or anything like that. After all, it could affect numbers or finances or, or Christian com even Christians compromising by staying in churches that do not preach the word of God or, or preach a diluted message or a false gospel. They stay in these churches because of convenience, because of image or reputation, or they don't want to make a scene. They don't want to make a big deal with, with, with others. And so just continue and, and compromise in our activity and our involvement in, in these areas. I had a funeral director when... Back last weekend in Saskatchewan, the funeral director came to me after the message where I had the great opportunity and green light from the family, preach the word, preach the salvation message. And she came up afterwards and said, you would not believe how many churches, how many evangelical pastors in, the, in that city, in that region, she said, they're putting everyone in heaven. They're not preaching the gospel at these funerals. What a great time to be able to preach the word. She and her husband are, 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 are believers in Christ. And, and she said it's sad, the compromising, just to make people feel good at the time of death and sorrow rather than, than proclaiming the truth of God's word. I'll be honest with you. I would rather do a funeral than a wedding anytime. I would. I mean, weddings are, 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 are nice. They're fun. It's a celebration. But gospel opportunity... I see such a, I mean, such a great opportunity to be able to, to minister people in their time of need. And what a great time. And yet we compromise because we just want to make people feel good. And, and, and there's a way we can make people feel good by giving them the truth of God's word. And when they know the truth, the truth sets us free. What do we do in our lives? Do we compromise when it comes to questionable forms of entertainment that clearly goes against the word of God? And we think, oh, it's not a big deal. Everyone's doing it. They watched that movie. They went to that. It mustn't be that bad. Yeah, there's language. Yes, there's scenes. Yes, there's all of these different things. What do we do with these things? And we might think it's not a big deal. A little compromise here, a little bit there, a little white lie here, fudging the numbers. What if, what if the pilots on the airplanes that we took decide, you know, I think we're just going to be a few degrees off today from our destination. You know, that, that wouldn't necessarily be necessarily the smartest thing, would it? I mean, uh, and, and so I, I went to an expert. I went to a retired WestJet uh, pilot this week, and I asked his, for his help in, in this. And I said, so if we're going from Kelowna to Toronto, you see the nice little, little image there. What if, what if you just turned on your automatic pilot on your settings just one degree off? Where would that put us? And that would put us in Hamilton. 
about 50 kilometers off target. What if, what if they set the dials about 5% off? Just 5% off from Kelowna to Toronto. I mean, the five, you know, that's close enough. 95%, you know, we're going to get pretty close there. No, over that distance, it's going to get down to Jamestown, Pennsylvania. That's like 500 kilometers away. Now, what if we were to go between Kelowna and London, England? 1% off would put you about, uh, I believe I have it here in my notes, uh, just 1% will, will take you 166 kilometers off towards Sussex, England. So you're going to just miss London, Heathrow Airport, by 166 kilometers. You know, you can, I'm sure you can get a cab or something like that to get you there. What if it's just 5% off? Well, that's going to put you in Wilmshaven, Germany, 530 kilometers off target. You see, just a little bit of compromise can be a big deal. And in God's eyes, a little bit of compromise is a big deal. And we can forego when we do this, when we compromise, we forego the power, the blessing that God desires to build and to bring into our lives. And sadly, for many believers in Christ, we, can, we will never experience the fullness of God's call upon our lives, the fullness of his power, of his spirit working and moving in our midst, in our lives and in and through us because we've compromised in the area of materialism or comfort or personal pleasure. Yes, I know what God's word says, but. And we don't listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. And we don't pay attention to scripture the way that we should. Instead, we gather, as God's word tells us, those who will tickle our ears and, and make us feel good. And yet compromise means that we miss so much. For Daniel and his three friends, they chose to live. They resolved to live a no compromise life. And as they determine to live a no compromise life, no matter what we see, God's blessing upon them in an incredible way. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. Nebuchadnezzar, as he came and he took some of the Israelites, he took the nation's brightest and best, the youth, the smart, the good-looking, the influential, those from no nobility, from royal families, and he took them and he took them. He had a plan to enculturate them into the ways of Babylonian thinking and into their culture and philosophy. He had a plan. And dear church, in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar had a plan for evil, he had a plan for Daniel and the other captives, the others that were taken into captivity, we have to be aware that our enemy, the devil, has a plan for our lives as well. 1 Peter 5, 5, 8 reminds us and tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We must be aware of this. The enemy has a plan for your destruction, for your discouragement, to get you off track, to get you to compromise, to get you just living this low-level spiritual life that is frustrating and, and is just discouraging and is blessing no one and there's no power, there's no fruitfulness, there's no effectiveness. This is the plan that he has for us. And, and there's a number of different ways that Nebuchadnezzar planned things out for Daniel and his friends and for the other Others who were taken into captivity and there's a plan that he has for us. The first one we see is isolation. Look at it in verse 3 and 4. The enemy has a plan for our destruction and isolation is the first one. It says in verse 3, The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, used without blemish, of good, good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The first thing we see is he takes them on a 500-mile journey from Jerusalem, and I think we even have a map of 
that that we even showed you last week from Jerusalem over to Babylon. It was about a 500 mile journey for the cap captives as they were taken. New home, new place, new environment, new culture, everything different. Satan loves to isolate us, to get us alone, get us away from God's people, get us away from the culture and the environment that, that will foster uh, us to be strong in the Lord. And Satan loves to isolate us. And here's some of the ways that he loves to isolate us. Write this down, pride. He loves to isolate us through pride. You're so smart. You're so strong. You've got it together. You don't need accountability in your life. No one's going to tell you what to do. You don't need other Christians in your life. You've got this. You've got the Holy Spirit. You have your Bible. I'm able to do this and loves to isolate. You don't need to go to church every Sunday. I mean, come on. You go when it's convenient, you know, when it works out for you. You know, sometimes Pastor Pillow is just way more convenient than, than getting up and, you know, especially 9.30. I mean, who does church at 9.30 on a Sunday morning? And, and we can so easily and so quickly forsake the assembly of God's people. Sometimes there's good reasons to do it, but oftentimes they're just out of comfort and convenient. You don't need to be involved in a group. You don't need to be part of a small group or, or, or any sort of accountability. You don't need to learn more or grow or be accountable to others. You're accountable to God. Yes, we're accountable to God, but he has also placed us in community to, to be growing and learning and accountable. This is the wrong kind of thinking, and the enemy loves to put these kind of thoughts into our mind. You're strong. You're, you're able to do it on your own. And it goes against everything the Word of God talks about. God's Word talks that we're weak. We're prone to wander. We're prone to compromise. And we need God's people. We need his word. And we also need God's people to steer us and to love us and to encourage and us to do the same for one another. And it's a way that the enemy loves to isolate us. Here's another way. Condemnation. Loves this one in our lives, doesn't he? You're such a loser. You're no good. You're such a fail. What, you did it again? You sinned again? <laughs> Man, you are so bad. You're not worthy. You stumbled again. I mean, how many times is this? You're second rate. You better stay away from fellowship because there's no sense praying or no sense even going to church or being part because, man, you are such a loser. I mean, that's just like, just all the way you look at it, you know, you're just a loser. I mean, and instead of running to what we need, we isolate ourselves. And the enemy loves this. Remember for the believer in Christ, folks, remember Romans 8, go to the bank on this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin when we sin and when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will, what with our sins? He will again forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The slate is wiped clean. The enemy loves to isolate us. Through pride, through condemnation. Here's another one, through distraction. We get busy, oftentimes with good things. But we neglect the best things. And we give so much time and attention to good things. Nothing, I mean, folks, nothing. Would we get this through our heads? Nothing is more important than our relationship with God. There isn't. It's the only relationship that will see us through, to, through time here on earth and through eternity. And a big part of that relationship is, is, is in being in community with God, having that God time daily. As we were teaching Harvest Essentials last week, or just yesterday, again, afterwards I told Sean, yeah, it, it, it takes time to go through it, 
But I get fired up when I go through it and I'm reminded of these truths and, and, and just, you know, how important it is that we're spending that time abiding in Christ daily, that we have that God time, that we're part of, of, of groups where we're, we're growing and we're learning together in the word of God. And as we just kind of walk you through the 5G life, the, these kind of things are important. We can get so busy gaining the world Pursuing comfort, pursuing power, pursuing the bottom line, pursuing a life of ease and, or even selfish gain. And yet our souls are shriveling up in God's word. Don't, you can gain the whole world and you can forfeit your souls. You can lose your souls or you can lose the souls of your family because you're not taking the time to be able to lead your family in the ways of God. This is serious ways that the enemy loves to isolate us. Get us out of communion with God out of biblical community, brothers and sisters. Who do you have even now who can speak truth into your life? Who can speak words of encouragement but also correction? Words of, hey, you know, I'm seeing this in your life. This is, you know, what's going on? Something mustn't be going on quite right here. We need others in our lives. We have to understand our adversary, the devil, wants to isolate us. Get us out of fellowship with God and with his people. Here's something else the enemy works hard to do, and this is to change your identity. He works at changing our identity. You're hearing a lot about that this day in the news, aren't you? Gender identity changes, gender confusion, even people who are in prison, our federal government is offering to pay for uh, them to, to get changed, uh, change their, the, their gender. They're able to take people who think they're a man and put them in a woman's prison. And, and just, you know, you hear all of this and you're just like, oh, it's so confusing. And, and, and well, what's going on in, in, in the life of Daniel and, and what the enemy even desires to do in our own lives there's some similarities there, trying to get us to change our way of thinking, to change our identity. Look at in verse 7 of chapter 1. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now you think, okay, so they just gave them some names to kind of fit the culture. What's the big deal about it? It is a big deal. What was taking place here? They're trying to change their identity, trying to get them to forget who they were and who they are now and what they want them to become. Back in these days, names were given as to be a reminder, as a statement, as a link to their Jewish heritage, a reminder of who their God is and who, who, who their God desires for them to become. I mean, today oftentimes we choose names out of preference or out of popularity or, or, or even sometimes just to be different. My mom was a school teacher before she started having kids and, and, and she realized there's so many kids with the same name. She says, I'm going to go and I'm going to give my kids some weird names. I'm going to give them different names and that's where you get Meldon. I've never met another one like him. She found it in some baby book somewhere and it actually, I mean, and, and she didn't even see, consider the meaning, I don't think. It was just more of, hey, I think this looks good and this sounds good and, and uh, it means dweller at the mill hill. Like, I mean, come on, you know, someone just pounding out grain, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's now pounding out the word of God. Maybe I've grown into my name. I'm not sure. And, and, and yet we, you know, I mean, when our daughter was born, we had a number of options that we were looking at. And, and, and we loved the name Clarice because it meant clear and bright, not because of the movie. We weren't naming her after some movie or anything like that, as well as there was a Clarice and that Charlotte knew in her younger years that that was just a, a beautiful role model of a woman. And so we named her Clarice. 
meaning clear and bright. Now, back in these days, names, you know, they're often out of preference or, you know, sometimes we, we, you know, there's a family heritage that goes with the name. But in the ancient world, a person's name went with their identity. It spoke to the core of who that person was. And so let's just take a look at the meaning of these names. Daniel means God is my judge. For Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael, who is what God is. Azariah, God is my helper. Now these names were given to remind them and, and, and you see the E-L and you see the A-H at the end of these names and, you know, interchangeably. One there represents Elohim and the other Yahweh. It's speaking about the one true God, Yahweh, Elohim, our, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These names were to be reminders to them of whose they were. And look at the names that then they were given by the Babylonians. Belteshazzar means Bel, protect his life. Bel was the name of one of their foreign gods, one of their demonic gods. Shadrach, Aku is exalted. Again, another one of their gods, little g gods, that is. Meshach, who is what Aku is. And Abednego, servant of Nebo. Again, another one of their foreign gods. This was a strategic attempt that when their names were said, was to be a reminder of whose they were. And it was no longer Elohim, Yahweh, God that had them. It was now the new gods of this new country and this new culture. Folks, our enemy today tries to do the same. He tries to confuse us. He tries to get us to, to, to forget our identity when we are in Christ. Even for the believer, he works extra hard, I believe. Again, reminding us of, with condemnation, you're a loser. If people knew the real you, oh, you did it again, I can't believe it. You're no longer saved. You, you, God doesn't love you. He loves others, but not you. And, and this is why it's so important to know our identity and know our standing in Christ. This is why we need to know the word of God. We need to remind ourselves of the truths that God has stated that in Christ we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. We remember that we are sons and daughters of the most high God. We remember from God's word that we are loved. We've been chosen. We've been justified before God. We have been redeemed. We've been reconciled. We have been sanctified. And then one day we will be glorified as we will be with him forever. And that nothing can snatch us out of his hand. In Christ we don't lose our true selves. We become our true selves because he is now empowering us and strengthening us. That is why daily we need to be reminded of these truths. This is why we need to be in the word of God. This is why we need to be reminded and rehearse the gospel every day. That I'm a sinner. I deserve death and judgment in hell and yet I believe that Jesus Christ took my sins and he has forgiven me and now I believe and I know from his word I am chosen. I'm a chosen child of the most high God. I've been saved. I've been justified, redeemed, reconciled. The process of sanctification is happening where I'm becoming more and more like Christ almost every day. Some days there are steps backwards but I, I desire to keep progressing and growing in my love for the Lord and my desire to serve him and live for him. I can't lose with God. I can't lose with Jesus. I win. I can win and win and win. I can do nothing to earn his favor, but he has given it to me. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Amen. This is our identity. This is who we are. And we must remember this identity. 
this world is going to try to beat it out of us in all kinds of different ways. But we need to remember, we need to go back to the Word of God. Here's another thing that the enemy loves to work and how he worked here, how King Nebuchadnezzar worked on these boys through indoctrination. So there was isolation, trying to change the identity, and now there's indoctrination. And, and one of the key ways that, he, that this happened for them was through education. These captives were taken from Judah. They were taken into Babylon. And, uh, and, and we don't know how many there were. There was probably dozens, maybe even a few hundred. We don't know for sure. But we know Daniel and his three friends were there. And these captives were all enrolled in the University of Babylon. For three years, they would be taught the language, the literature, the culture, the religion of the Babylonians. And part of this, it was the king's design to retrain their minds, to brainwash them. And folks, I mean, the Babylonian belief system, archaeology proves this, secular history as well as the word of God proves this. It was, was in direct opposition, in demonic opposition to everything that these young boys had been taught from the word of God. And we have to understand that even today in our educational systems, our educational centers for our students today, they're not just educational centers, they're indoctrinational centers. And we're just seeing just things, curriculums today that are becoming more and more for the world's ways and culture and very much against God. They're very anti-God. And so we might think, well, we should homeschool. Oh, we should put them in Christian education. That's the way to go. Now, those areas could and might help in some areas, and yet we're foolish to think that just because we do that with our children, that the enemy doesn't have some other way of attacking and getting after the minds and the hearts of our children. Whether it's through school systems, media, entertainment, friends, we must be alert. And to know the indoctrination is real. And we'll use the education system in an incredible way. Archaeology evidence here from this time concludes that Daniel and his three friends would have been trained in the art of divination. The art, the skill, the ability to be able to make predictions about the future through looking at the stars, through astrology. And even, yes, believe this, and a number of sources confirm this, from examining sheep livers. This was demonic activity through and through. And Daniel and his friends would have been educated in all of these ways and yet they remained strong and true to God. But here's another way that the indoctrination takes place. We see it in, in education, but another way, and this is where it gets to the root, this is where it gets dangerous, is when this happens in lifestyle, look at in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. These boys were offered the best of the best. The king's food. I mean, the, the king's wine. I mean, and, and, I mean, and, and the, king's, the king's meat, his steak. They had the best cuts that money could buy or that he would just help himself to. The best cuts was made available for those young people. And it was something for them to be able to enjoy. And, you know, I mean, just let's face it. There's nothing quite like a really awesome steak. And, you know, and oh, the sizzle. And I hope I don't blow this again, guys. I'm cranking it a little bit more. So if you need to do something to, and oh, yeah, this is going to cook. It's going to take a little longer than, than I planned. Oh, that smells good. Can you guys smell it at all? I, I can help you in that, actually. I brought a little fan here just so that uh, 
you can be, uh, your mouths can start watering here a little bit. There we go. I won't even put it on, yeah, I think we're going to oscillate. Oh, did we lose power? Oh no, we're still good. Well, we'll just go on slow speed, I guess. I think this thing's taken all the power. But anyways, we have, you know, they were given absolutely the best meat. How about, how about the best wine? I mean, I think this was from 627, uh, year 627. Yeah, now it's, what, 605? Yeah, the, well, this is really good wine. And, and this is what they were offered. This is what they were given. They were given the best, the choicest food was made available for them. And it, isn't it interesting that it is at this point we see in the story, this is where they refused it. This is where they said no. This is where they said, we don't want to drink his wine. We don't want to drink his meat or eat, eat, fr eat the meat that he is providing for us. And you might start thinking, well, what's the big deal? Come on. And they could have easily have justified eating this. Listen, we've been taken captive. We're just following orders. We're doing what the king is wanting us to do. God has abandoned us after all. And out of respect for the king, we're going to eat his, eat his meat and we're going to drink the wine that he has provided for us. But look at what it says in verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. When it came to the food, when it came to the wine, this is where Daniel and his three friends drew the line. Now I am sure that this decision just wasn't made just like this. As we see in the pattern of Daniel's life, he was a man of prayer. That no doubt these men went to prayer. These young teenage boys actually went to prayer and asked God for wisdom and direction on what they should do. You see, what was wrong with the meat? Why did they draw the line here? They didn't protest when their names were changed. They didn't protest and make a big deal when they had to learn the, the educational system of the Babylonians. Why did they kind of dig in their heels at this point? But you see, there's some very important reasons why they did this. And, 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 and first of all, we see because the meat and the wine came with a lavish amount of, of glory and honor for the king. They were also items that would have been given to, um, would have been offered to idols. And, and this was something that, that God clearly had forbidden. You see, God in the Old Testament, in, in the Old Testament law, had given his people certain foods and certain regulations to keep them a holy and distinct people, to keep them separate. And this food had been offered to idols, and along with that came the understanding with this food, and it was offered to idols, that this food would be like superfood. There would be superpower that would be applied to this food because the idols, their false gods, had blessed the food. And Daniel and his friends decided in their hearts, they decided before God and then before their authorities that this was one area they would not compromise. They wanted the Babylonians to know that their strength, their power would come from God. You see, their names changed, but they knew where their true identity was found. They were put through the educational process. They didn't resist it. In fact, we will see they excelled in their studies. They got straight A's. A++++ they ended up getting. And I think I blew this one more time. We'll turn it off. 
So sorry guys, you're going to have to reset and I'll start talking a little louder. Sorry about that. Should have planned that out a little bit better. And so here we see that this educational process, they, they ended up going into that, but, but they continued on. They excelled. They got their straight A's. And in learning the Babylonian ways when it came to their teaching, they would learn their errors of their way and they would be able to better communicate it because they were able to put it through the grid of God's word. I like what, again, Paul Carter had to say about this, putting this into today's context. Young people, take your class. Excel. Do the best that you can. Learn about atheism and evolution and get a straight A. Read the literature that you're given. Master the sciences and the arts. But don't, be allow, don't allow yourself to be owned by it. Keep the word of God next to you and see what God's word has to say. It will make you sharper to be able to stand and be able to share the truth of God's word with others that are around you. And this is what they were doing here. They didn't resist at this point, but they resisted when it came to the eating and to the drinking. They would remember whose they were. This is how these young men would keep their hearts pure before God in a foreign land. And if you notice, Daniel stood his ground, but as he did it, he did it with great humility. He did not pull a holier than, than thou. He didn't go with big protest signs and make a big deal and say, you know, no meat for me, no wine for me, you know. And, and he didn't walk around and put a little halo on his head to be able to just show how holy he was and how, you know, God-fearing he was. He didn't look for a fight. He didn't look for an argument in a very winsome way he approached the chief eunuch and he asked for vegetables. He asked for a vegetable and a water diet. And instead of the meat, he chose to go with the vegetables. Instead of the wine, the best of wine, he asked for water. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food to be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And it goes on to say in verse 14, So the chief eunuch listened to him in this matter and tested him for 10 days. So for 10 days, no wine, no steak, no meat from the king's table. Instead, it was the Daniel diet. It was water and vegetables. And in ancient days, the aspect about veggies, I mean, veggies now are, are, are pretty good. I mean, they're, well, they're okay. I mean, they still don't compare to, to steak, but I mean, they're pretty good. But back then, vegetables were seen as food for the poor folks, for those down and outers. They're the ones that would eat vegetables from the land. They would grow their own vegetables and, and, and then they would eat them. I mean, the meat and the wine, that's for the rich, that's for the noble, that's for the powerful. And yet we see what ended up happening in verse 9. It goes on to say in verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. So for 10 days they take the Daniel diet and look what happens, verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and their wine and their drink and gave them vegetables. And for the next three years, they would eat vegetables. What does it say about them? They were better in appearance. 
Their cheeks were rosier. It says fatter in flesh. Now that doesn't mean necessarily like they were getting fat on this because I don't think that's possible to get fat on vegetables. I remember Charlotte having, uh, telling a story about one of her uh, friends at schoolmates. This was years ago. They bought a juicer and they were juicing carrots all the time and his skin actually turned orange. Uh, didn't see him for the first few days, apparently. I guess he was a little busy, a little tied up at home. But when he came to school, his, his skin had even turned orange because he was eating so many carrots. Now, now vegetables can affect you in various ways, but it's not necessarily going to make you fatter in flesh like it, it says here. What this fatter in flesh actually means is that they're filled out. There's, there's greater strength. There's, there's greater capacity to be able to learn and, and to be able to discern things. And this isn't just going to happen through waters and veggies. This is something, this was a, a powerful statement for the people that there was something supernatural that was taking place. This was God at work. Only God for now the next three years could make these men wise and smart and strong in all the ways because they chose to follow God in this very important area of their lives. It was God's supernatural power at work. And so next we see here the blessings of a no-compromise life. We see the blessings that will come when we choose to live a no-compromise life. Verse 17, it says, And God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and visions and dreams. And the king spoke with them among all of them. None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So what do we see here? What do we see as the blessings? First of all, in just, this is in 10 days. This is what happened in 10 days, but then we also see in three years. In 10 days, we see a physical blessing that happened, how God strengthened them and fattened them and, and empowered them just in those 10 days. And this went on for three years. Three years of vegetables, three years of water. And these men were strengthened through that way. Mentally, they received mental knowledge and wisdom. Verse 17, and God gave them knowledge in, in, in literature and wisdom. They were found at the end of three years to be, what, 10 times better, smarter than all of the magicians and wise men and mediums in the entire kingdom? This is a God thing. This is God honoring their commitment. A spiritual commitment as well. Our spiritual blessing ended up taking place. We see how, how God specifically blessed Daniel, giving him understanding and visions and dreams. Something that's going to come into play in the chapters ahead. And something that would be used for the rest of his life. God would bless him spiritually. And also vocationally, we see a vocational blessing that ends up taking place. So we see physical, mental, spiritual, and then also vocational these men would go on to serve in high positions for the king. And for a number of kings, they would outlive King Nebuchadnezzar. And for Daniel, it would go on for the next 70 years. His integrity, his uncompromising character had far-reaching results. It ended up saving the nation of Israel. God used him because God is large and God is in charge. These men were already living out what we see. In the, we see here in the Old Testament what they're living out. A New Testament reality, something that we're commanded to do from God in his word. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. This is what God called them to do in this 
was the blessing that they ended up realizing in their lives. Quickly, here's some, some guidelines for even for our own consideration. I encourage you to write this down and this will get flushed out a little bit more in, in the small groups this next week and in the study guides that, that you can get from the e-news. The word of God, first of all, is our guide. If the Bible says yes, then yes. If the Bible says no, then no. Don't ponder, don't pander, don't wait, don't justify, obey. We are to obey the word of God. But what about the areas where God's word does not speak so clearly? Where do, it doesn't speak specifically, where it speaks more in generalities and, and not specifics. Like if it's time to, to sell your house and to, to buy a different house or time to move or, or time to take this job or who to date or who to marry. This is where we lean on wise counsel. We need wise and godly counsel in our lives. We take biblical principles and biblical parameters First of all, to establish those decisions, but then we need at times wise counsel in virtually every decision, major decision in my life. And then for Charlotte and I in our own lives, we've had wise counsel lean into, into our decisions that we are thinking and praying about, having others researching scripture and reminding us of gospel truths in, in this way. And so we need to be people who are people of the word, people seeking out wise counsel. But then another thing here, is others, the testimony of Christ and considering the weaker brother or sister that we see in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans chapter 8, considering the weaker brother. There are things that we may be able to do, participate, watch, eat, drink with a clear conscience, but for the sake of a weaker brother or sister or for the testimony of Christ, we take a stand. We don't compromise. We don't make it all about ourselves. And you see, folks, this all started and the blessing of God fell upon these four young men because they determined to trust in the sovereignty of God in all things, but also because they determined to live a no-compromise life no matter what. No matter what came their way, we see how they would do this and we see this in the chapters ahead. But you know what? For us, as we bring our time to a close here this morning, this is, for us, we're not so much being tempted on meat that is being offered to idols. Our areas of compromise are going to be a little bit different and they are different. In these areas, will we choose God's way or will we choose the Babylonian ways, the worldly ways, the worldly values? What areas in our lives personally have we allowed the Babylon lifestyle to creep into our lives, into our thinking? into our families, into our homes. Entertainment choices. And folks, I'm, I'm preaching with the mirror in front of me. Invisible mirror, but there's a mirror. These are questions I need to be asking myself. Entertainment choices, do we laugh at sin? Do we not think twice about the things that we're seeing that, that, that sadden and go against what God, sadden the heart of God and against his word? How about sexuality today in our culture? It's running rampant where anything goes. At what point do we speak up? Where, at what point do we take a stand? At what point do we follow what we follow God's word, what God's word has to say? How about our money? We use the word upgrade or comfort or you deserve this and, 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 and yet what does God's word say? Are we honoring God when it comes to our finances for our time, our treasures, our talents? Are we seeking his kingdom first? In all things, are we seeking our own kingdom? You see, Daniel resolved in his heart, and we must do the same. We must resolve in our heart. 
Where are we going to make the stand? Where are we going to be the draw the line where we're not going to compromise? We might think that a little compromise here and there is not a big deal, but it is a big deal. Sometimes we think, well, I need to compromise now, but I'll just do it for a short while to get established, to get ahead, to get my foot in the door, and then later on I'll stop compromising and I'll make the stand. No. The easiest day to take that stand is today. Guaranteed tomorrow, it will be harder. The next day, even harder. The Lord honored Daniel's stand in these three boys. He supernaturally strengthened them. He gave them gifts and abilities and powers that they would not know in any other way. And God is looking for those same opportunities today. He's looking to make himself strong on our behalf. He desires to empower and to strengthen us. Will we compromise or will we follow him? Will we take those stands? Maybe there's some conversations that need to be had with family, with friends, at the workplace. Confession that needs to be made, areas that need to be repented of. Before God, before others, and say, I choose to follow our Lord in this. I'm going to ask the band to come and we're going to pray together and we're going to sing a song about standing, about, we sang part of it, some of it last week, and that we would stand for truth and stand for God and no compromised life. Let's pray together. Father, we see the joy, the power in the end, incredible victory that came into the lives, the blessing that came to these men. You didn't rescue them from a bad situation, but you allowed them to power up through that and to leave an incredible testimony, not only for the Babylonians, but an incredible testimony and reminder for us today that when we stand for truth, when we stand in a heart of love, and with a respectful heart in the way that we see that Daniel and his friends did this, in a winsome heart, God, then it makes a difference. People notice that. You get the glory and your power, your blessing, your provision, your protection is over our lives. And sadly, Lord, I believe that so oftentimes we can cut ourselves short. We can go through our Christian lives and never experience the power and the blessing that comes from a life that is sold out. This is a lordship issue. Who is Lord? Is it my ways, my thinking, or is it God in every area of my life? And we do this out of hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you've done. I encourage you just to, as we worship the Lord here this morning and sing a number of songs, that this would just be a sweet time for the Lord to work in our hearts. Maybe just for the first time that we sing the song through, just remain seated. And then as we come to sing it through the second time, would you make that stand if that is what he's calling you to do? That you desire to stand true, stand firm on the word of God. Oh, it's going to be hard. We need others. We're here for one another to walk for and walk with one another. Let's spend some time worshiping together. <laughs>